0: Welcome to the Alkaline Unplugged podcast. I'm Erin Perzuski, a functional fitness expert and holistic health coach. I am the founder and CEO of Alkaline, a health and wellness company that operates boutique fitness franchises across the US. I live in Menlo Park, California with my husband and two young daughters. I am joined by my podcast partner, Kathy Purnell, a master instructor at Alkaline and a former special education teacher. She has three grown daughters and lives in Los Altos with her husband, Jeff. Together, we bring you Alkaline Unplugged, a collection of conversations on a whole host of topics, from experts in the health and wellness field to the real, raw, and human stories of people like you and me. We look forward to bringing you content that will nourish your mind, body, and soul. We thank you for tuning in and look forward to your comments and feedback. If you like what you hear, we'd appreciate a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. As a disclaimer, neither Kathy nor I are licensed medical professionals. The materials and content in this podcast are intended to be general information and are not to be considered a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.
1: Hey, welcome. Hi, Erin. How are you? Hey, Kathy. How are you? I'm doing well. Well, January is off to a good start, Um, and we are here today after a brief hiatus with Sally Duplantier. All right, Sally is the founder of Zing. Zing is a holistic approach to improve lifelong health and through education, coaching, assessment, and habit change. Whether you're looking to achieve and maintain a healthy weight, make better choices about nutrition and exercise, or reframe the stress and improve your sleep habits, Zing can help you. So I want to welcome Sally. Sally's not only the founder of Zing, but she's also a lifelong um, alkaline client, and this is a long time in coming. We've been trying to get Sally on our podcast for a long time, so I'm super grateful to have her here. Welcome,
2: Sally. Thank you so much, Kathy and Erin. It's really a pleasure to be here.
1: All right. So recently, you wrote an awesome blog on our website about willpower. And January is the time of year where many of us make those New Year's resolutions, whether it's you know to exercise more, to sleep better, to cut back on wine, whatever it might be. Um, those resolutions sometimes work out, sometimes not so much. And many of us think, gosh, if I just had more willpower, if I could just will myself to do these things, I could achieve my goals. But it isn't as simple as that, is it?
2: No, it's not. And I think part of the problem with resolutions, first of all, is that we make so many um, that we don't even remember them by mid-January. Even if people made one or two they may not remember what they committed to. Um, And then this idea of willpower. So we think willpower is mind over matter, but it's a lot more complex. Yes, tell me more about that. So uh, it's similar to the stress response in this way, in that willpower is a combination of biological, physiological, and kind of emotional processes that work together. It's not mind over matter, it's not how can my mind control something. The physiology uh, and the biology work together and when they work really well, what happens is that there's a response that can actually send calming uh, feelings to the body and it can actually send more blood to the prefrontal cortex so that we can think. However, there's a lot of things that get in the way of of that response.
1: Yeah. And I think when we set ourselves up with these resolutions and think, oh, gosh, if I could just will myself to do it, we end up disappointing ourselves, which then is like a vicious circle.
2: It's so true. I mean, how many times have we said, oh, I'm only going to have one bite of dessert? You know, I'm only going to have one bite one bite becomes two, then what happens when we feel so bad about two bites of dessert? What do we do? Yeah, we self shame. We <laughs> self shame or we eat the whole thing. Yes. Well self shame so that we're going that we end up eating more. So that's that's absolutely true. Yeah. Oh man.
1: I don't know about you, Aaron, but I'm I, every year I set like resolution. I'm going to eat better. I'm actually, it's not so much about eating because I feel like for the most part, I do a decent job with that. It's more about being disciplined about going to sleep on time and making sure I get the proper amount of, of sleep. So part of your work at Zing, as we talked about, and we can talk more about willpower too, because I think that's really important at this time of year. But anyway, your work at Zing is to help people live better into their years Yes. I'll, tell me how you would describe Zing and what made you take that leap and
2: found your company? Yeah, so that's a good question. I'll, I'll answer both. So what I really look at is health span. So, you know, we're we're so familiar with the term longevity, how long can you live? And I'm going to be a bit provocative here and say, who cares if you're not in good health? You know, who cares about being to 100 if you're not able to do the things that you want to do? So there's an emerging area in in, uh, science that looks at health span versus disease span. And health span is the number of years in which you are physically strong and mentally sharp. And what I do is help people make better lifestyle choices to actually extend their health span and reduce disease span. So
1: give us some examples of how you coach someone in this way.
2: Yeah, so you, so you have a, a, a great example is what you said with sleep. So I look at kind of the four pillars of health, which are sleep, stress, movement, and nutrition. And so part of it is education, and part of it is habit change. So when you talked a little bit about sleep, Kathy, you know, as I listened to you say something like, oh, I need to sleep better, I need more sleep. Like, let's get specific. If we're going to try to turn that into a habit, then what is the what is the particular goal? Is it getting eight hours of sleep a night? Is it getting to bed by 10.30? And then I would try to break it down really, really small. So maybe this week, all you do is work on getting into bed by 10.30 two nights in a row or, or just two nights. Again, creating new habits takes time and we need to do it small and incrementally. I've heard the saying that 30 days build a habit. Is that something that you subscribe to? I do subscribe to it. Um, I have something, I started something called the Healthy Habits Network. And this is a, this helps people go from it knowing to doing. You know, I find that you know, when I when I tell people to eat more vegetables, nobody falls off their chair and goes, Oh my God, Sally, that is so hard. I never thought of that. Like we know what to do, we just don't do it. I bet you know what to do with sleep. So I started this community where we work on habits. And what what we do is we work on like habits 30 days at a time. Um, because just because, you know, like with that sleep, for example, just because you got to bed at 10 30, let's say three nights this past week, it doesn't mean you're going to keep doing it. A habit is something that you do almost unconsciously. You go from, this is something I think I should do to something that I can't really imagine doing without. And it takes time to build those.
1: Yes. It's, it's interesting. Uh, speaking about sleep, my husband wears a Fitbit and he is very data-driven. So every morning he wakes up he tells me what his sleep score was. Now, to me, I I don't wear a Fitbit. I don't wear a device when I sleep. I can tell those nights that I've had a good night's rest. And so much of it has to do with what I did leading up to getting into bed, right? Was I spending time on my phone? Was I watching television? What was I doing? Um, And and so, you know, talk about breaking down the habits and, and rebuilding different patterns of behavior. I've had to learn to like shut everything down Get in bed, give myself some time to wind down, and then, of course, you know, if I haven't had a good night's sleep, I can trace it back to, oh, I had a cup of coffee at three p.m. Not a good idea. Let's stop doing that. But I, I think you're right. I think m- most of us know what to do. It's learning how to make the behavior changes in order to create new patterns of behavior.
2: Yeah. And this is where the power of community comes in. So that's one thing that I do in my, my Healthy Habits Network. And it's something you do at Alkaline. I was thinking about it. Um, there is incredible power in community to change behavior. So a couple of references. Um, you may have heard of Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit. If, if people haven't read it, by all means, go out and get it. It's one of the best health books. But he talks about the best way to change habit, personal habit is through community. And he talks about um, the Alcoholics Anonymous and how it's the support of that community that helps drive behavior. The other thing is there's something called social control theory that was developed in the late 80s. Um, And it's it's just as true today. What, What researchers found is that people who are engaged in a community who are working on healthy behavior will tend to behave in a healthier way because of the expectation of the group. So what I think you've done at Alkaline is not, it's not just an exercise studio. It's not just a bar class I can go to. It's a community. And there's almost like an expectation of bringing your best self about working out, about working out more regularly because it's a group expectation.
1: Yeah. And the more you surround yourself with like-minded people who have a similar goal to live better, move better, feel better, um, the better off you are for sure. And we do have that at Alkaline with our nutrition coaching, the Nourish program that we do. I think you can see that 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 makes a big difference in people's lives. Erin, do you want to speak to that a little bit?
0: Yeah. I think in terms of accountability and connection, that's actually one of the the There have been a lot of silver linings to COVID in terms of access to, you know, technically we can, you know, open our community up beyond the four walls of the studio or the zip code or whatever. But I think it also is harder for people to feel the connection over a screen or over a Facebook group or over, you know, something digital. So I think that's a challenge. It's so funny you're talking about all these habits because we did... Our typical Nourish program does an elimination of the five most highly inflammatory foods, but it's you know it does have this elimination component, and people tend to uh, have a hard time with that because it's a little bit extreme. You know, you still eat real. They feel like it's deprivation versus. Yeah. I hate the word elimination, but you do sometimes have to take the bad stuff out, but you also have to put the good stuff in. So this year we approached January a little bit differently, especially since last year was so stressful and extreme. And, you know, even if we were prepared for that, which nobody was, we could not have (laughs) predicted. I mean, we still don't know when this thing is going to end and how long we're going to be in this situation, what the impact is going to be to our physical health, our mental health, our financial health, all of the above. So this year we decided to do, you know, sort of just ease into the new year instead of going and thinking about all these extreme things you're going to do. Just, I say, start small versus not at all. Just make a little tiny change. And it's funny because we've had a really good group of people sign up for it and you still see those all or nothing beliefs come in or that expectation of perfection. We've introduced a lot of potential habits that people could maybe uh, adopt from, for example, I get up and drink water first thing in the morning for a couple of reasons. One, I figured, well, if I was, it's probably the longest period of time while I'm sleeping that I'm not drinking water. So I already, you know, wake up a little bit dehydrated. And I always feel like when I'm dehydrated, then I, it, I get my hunger and my dehydration cues mixed up sometimes. And so it helps me just make better decisions, you know, the rest of the day to front end load my water, my hydration, little things like that. Or just learning to carry your water with you so that it's there in the car. I mean, I'd probably drink the most amount of water when I'm in the car because it's right there in the cup holder. And what else am I doing besides so driving and drink, drinking and driving, but not that kind of drinking <laughs> and driving? <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. Yeah. And then, you know, things like setting an alarm to remind you, like, oh, it's time to turn off the TV and get into bed, or it's time to shut the book and get into bed, you know, just little things that you can. Adopt, but you don't have to do all the things. Like sleep has been a, a challenge for me because as much as I eat well and I exercise and I um, prioritize connection with other people, sleep was always the last one. You know, because I I thought I was too busy and too important to sleep. And you're right. I mean, some of the worst health decisions I ever made were when I was working in a job where I was in the office at four in the morning and working till 10 at night. I'm a sleep deprived. I I don't even remember those years other than feeling like I was a walking zombie and I was stressed and tired and I would just eat candy like it was going out of style. You know, since I started prioritizing my sleep, I make way better decisions. And I just started with sleep seven to eight hours a night, twice a week. That's where I started. And now I try to do that, you know, six nights a week. It's still not seven nights a week because there's always going to be a night where I have a quiet night by myself. Everyone else is asleep. I get going on a project and I just want to enjoy the quiet house at midnight, you know? But yeah, I do think it's important to to not only start small, but also to recognize how every decision impacts
2: the next. Yeah. And Aaron, I'm going to build on that because it's funny in the Healthy Habits Network, we have two people plus myself working on sleep. So sleep seems to be a big one for all of us. And, you know, one of the things we recognized was that in order to get to bed, let's say by a certain time, by 1030, because you know, you're going to get up at, let's say, 630, you want those eight hours, that it's more than willpower, that it, it, it takes a system. So, you know, as I listen to him thinking that you're probably making decisions a good hour before you actually go to bed that are going to support you For, from what I've found is if I'm going to get in bed by 1030. I really need to wash my face, brush my teeth, put on my pajamas, do all of that before I sit down and watch an hour of TV with my husband, because otherwise, it's just monumental to get out of that chair and do those things. Um, and now, as you guys know, I have a puppy to walk before I get to get, get to go to bed. So, or at least take her outside. So, having a system that supports you is going to trump willpower.
1: I'm such a believer in routine. In fact, almost to the point of absurdity. I think sometimes I'm a little rigid in my routines. But I, uh, the way I justify that is I feel like the routines that I'm setting up for myself, whether it's setting my alarm so that I can you know, go for that walk or run before I do whatever, whatever is coming next. Or, you know, I I need to make sure that I get the laundry done on Monday. So it's not hanging over my head on Tuesday, whatever the all of those routines that I build in, help me stay on track, I feel the most chaotic and out of sorts, when I deviate from the healthy habits or the healthy routine that I've set for myself. When you have clients come to you, Sally, what are the top things they're coming to change?
2: That's a great question. I think most people come to me because they have problems with their weight. So usually people come because they want to lose weight or because they have some other kind of, let's say, metabolic disorder like diabetes, metabolic uh, syndrome. They may have high blood pressure. So that's what they're focused on. But what I really try to help them refocus on is not weight loss, but health span. What are the behaviors, what are the lifestyle changes that you can make in order to help you live as healthy as possible, as long as possible? And one of the reasons that I went back to grad school at, wait for it, age 67, um, is because I really want to study the science of aging. So I'm a student at USC getting a master's of science in gerontology. And, you know, I work a lot with clients that are 50 and over, but I have clients that are in their 30s. However, you know, it's like you're never too, you're never too young to start paying attention to things that are going to help you live a better life longer. And what fascinates me are how certain lifestyle changes can impact aging at a cellular level. Like that's just fascinating to me.
1: And I think what's so cool is your focus on the why. Like, if you tell me why changing a certain behavior will improve my life or potentially improve my life, I'm much more likely to get behind it other than, you know, letting the number on the scale be the, you know, arbiter of how I should feel in my own skin. So, yeah, I appreciate that. And the other thing I think is so cool, Sally, is your growth mindset and the fact that this is the next act for you.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I really, you know, I believe age does not define us. We define how we want to age, and something I've become aware of is how we can have our own ageist attitudes, where we can say, "Oh my gosh, I I forgot my car keys. I must be having a senior moment." You know what? People under sixty lose their car keys. (laughs) Yes, to somebody in my age range, but but we we go to that as a default, and I think part of part of ageism is we have to get out of our own way with it. Absolutely.
0: I think that's true a lot from the the fitness perspective, because a lot of people will say, I'm too old to do that. I'm too, and I just say age is, age is a number. It doesn't mean anything else, but I think it becomes an excuse a lot of times. Or I'm too heavy or I'm too inflexible or I'm too
1: this or that, which puts that roadblock in the way of making any progress forward. Right? Start where you are, move from there.
2: And that, and that is something I appreciate. I remember when I went to my first alkaline class, this was many, many years ago. I, I, I'd i heard about it. A friend of mine had done it. I finally got up the nerve to do it. And, you know, when I say that, I mean, I exercise a lot. So it's still a big deal for me to come to a brand new studio and do it. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, oh my God, like I'm skewing the median age here. I'm like 20 years older than everyone. Um, but first of all, I felt very much a part of the community, not only by whoever my instructors were, but the, the people there. I mean, secondly, I think your demographics have changed. It seems like, you know, you have people of, of all ages. Um, and, you know, what I, what I try to help people to understand how to do is do what you can, do something. I now we now have a, an online Zumba class and I have clients who are men in their 60s and 70s doing Zumba. That's like, awesome. I told them, I said, you don't have to have your camera on, you could just have an arm, you you know, whatever, but they're doing it. And I just, I give people a lot of credit for trying something new. Absolutely. Now you said you have something on Wednesdays. Okay. So I'll tell you about my Wellness Wednesday program. So um, last year, I started my business in 2019. And then 2020 was going to be a growth year. And then, of course, <laughs> we're in a pandemic. And I had been scheduled to give um, presentations in various like senior living communities. Well, those all went away. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to get my name out and get known? And also, how can I even help this community of people that's also locked down? So I started this program called Wellness Wednesdays. And what it is, is it's 45 minutes of webinar. And I have experts in the area of like science, um, basically MDs and researchers it's everything from brain health to healthy feet to spine health. Um, I'm going to be doing one with a clinical psychologist on sleep coming up. Um, I've done one on chronic inflammation. Can you boost the immune system? So it's really relevant topics to help keep keep people physically and mentally strong. And it's free. So if you if people go to my website, they'll see Wellness Wednesdays, and they can sign up. So for people that
1: are listening to this podcast, we will definitely have a footnote with how you can contact Sally and find out more information about what she does, if that's of interest, which it it certainly is to me. Thank you.
0: How has the adoption of that uh, technology-driven platform been? Because I'm assuming this is all over some sort of digital platform. Yeah,
2: it's all over Zoom. So, I mean, really interesting when I first started it, I started it as a pilot with a senior living community here in Cupertino. And we're like, can we even get people on Zoom? I mean, we didn't know. What they ended up doing was like a virtual house tour of one of the new villas they were building on Zoom because we thought, okay, at least people will, you know, use that and it worked. I, I found that people have not had difficulties. They really haven't. You know, I think, again, we underestimate what people can do. And, you know, similar to what you said, Aaron, with the silver lining, Like you, I reach people all over the country. And in in some cases, we've had people call in from all over the world. And it's it's been amazing. So it really hasn't been a bear.
0: Yeah, I find that you were saying how intimidated you were the first time you were trying alkaline or just trying something new. And that's always been our biggest challenge, just getting people in the door, getting them over whatever their own obstacles or fears are about that. They realize it's you know, more achievable and more supportive and more fun than perhaps they thought. But now it's harder to get people to try something on Zoom. is harder than getting someone to walk into an in-person space, even though in some ways they're lower barriers because...
2: Yeah. Especially, especially if you're not used to Zoom. And I know, you know, for me, I have to say, I love all the Zoom classes. It allows me to have a puppy. I mean, because I was I was always out going to the gym, going to Alkaline, going here, going to yoga. You know, uh, now my my dog Bella and I just do it from the garage. But it is hard for people who have never used the medium in that way. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and something that I think... You know, this this virtual stuff isn't going away anytime soon. So I I would imagine that part of what you do, Sally, is also coaching Mm -hmm. folks that maybe haven't had a lot of tech, you know, experience or, you know, are super comfortable with, you know, the virtual stuff, getting them
2: on board. Yeah. But again, I find it's it's not it, I've just found it not to be that big of a deal. And, you know, people use smartwatches, and we use some different apps in, in the coaching I, I work with. So there's there is technology to learn, but it's it's minor. People don't have that much trouble with it.
1: Uh, Sally, we were talking before the podcast about um, you're you're doing an internship um, at Stanford. Tell, yeah. tell us a little bit about this, because this is fascinating to me.
2: Well, this is—I mean—it's kind of like a dream come true for me. So um, I have a lot of respect for Stanford and the and the various you know professors there. But there's somebody who's really special. His name is Dr. Christopher Gardner. He's a professor of medicine um, and he's also a nutrition scientist who's led probably for the last 20 years some of the biggest studies around with respect to diet. So he's he's the person that partners with the National Institutes of Health on these big studies. And I got to know him because I got a certificate in nutrition science from Stanford. So he was one of my professors. And we kept in touch. And we've been talking about kind of the unique nutrition needs of older adults. What we believe is that there's just not a lot of research that's been done for, let's say, people 65 and older, Um, You know, like we know, okay, for example, to eat omega-3 fatty acids, or we know to eat fruits and vegetables, but we're, we're trying to understand what are the unique needs of these older adults, not only to mitigate disease risk, but to help them thrive. And so I'm going to be doing an internship where I'm going to be doing that research. And we're not doing it with, you know, live people yet. It's really more of a systematic literature review to understand what's been published, you know, what, what is the science? What What can we point to as, okay, this is well-documented fact, and where are the gaps? And it's, I mean, for me, it's 67 to be in graduate school and then be doing an internship at Stanford. It's not only so cool, but it tells me that everybody can have a third act. Yes. a second act. Like, we can have the life we want to live. We can, and we, we're responsible for creating that.
1: Yeah, you're a great example of that, Sally. I'm in awe of you. And once you're deeper into your internship, I would love to have you back so that we can talk more about what, what you're learning. Because I think, you know, we can think about the the nutritional needs for our children, right, when they're small, and you need to make sure they have enough calcium, and you need to make sure that they're not eating too much sugar and all of those things. And then as teenagers, different things are necessary. And as we age, like, the, it's not a one size fits all in terms of nutrition. So I think that would be really fascinating to have you back then. Thank you. Yes, this has been awesome, Sally. Before we go, I just want to ask one question because we've been talking about the pandemic. If you could say what has been the biggest blessing and what has been the biggest curse for you? Maybe start with the biggest curse and then end with the biggest blessing.
2: (laughs) You know, I am the queen of silver linings. I don't know that I can lead with the biggest curse. I'm going to have to think about that. The blessings, I mean, there's so many, but I'm, but I'll share one with you is that I've really gotten closer to my husband. The first week of lockdown, I thought we would kill each other. I'm like, (laughs) Oh, my God, you know, because I'm used to having the house to myself. And he's used to working off site. Um, but we we have gotten closer. We made a ritual around. We call it bed coffee, where we you know we just snuggle in the morning and then we sit and have coffee and then we talk about our day. And and he honored that every single day. Um, and now with Bella, our puppy, like we still have bed coffee. We just we just have this crazy dog <laughs> who comes in and joins us. So to me, it's been getting closer to him, and also learning new ways of doing things, you know, like the Zoom. I think the tough thing is it, it's what everybody says, not seeing people they love. I have a twin sister. She lives in Chicago. I did get to see her at Thanksgiving. Um, and it was wonderful, but short and brief and distanced. And I miss, I just miss seeing people I love.
1: Yes, I hear ya. So let's hope for the vaccine getting in the arms of everyone so that we can stem the surge of this and, and just really move into 2021 in a much, much brighter way. I want to thank you, Sally, so very much. And again, for those of you listening to this recording, this podcast, be sure that you check out uh, the information about how you can get in touch with Sally if you're curious about more of what she's doing. Thank Thanks you. so
2: much. Thank, Thank you. So. Pleasure. Kathy and Aaron. I loved it.
0: Bye. Thank you for joining another episode of Alkaline Unplugged. As a reminder, please leave us a review on Apple, iTunes, or wherever you're listening. Comments, feedback, and requests or suggestions for future guests can be emailed to info at alkalinstudios.com. We look forward to hearing from you.